So we come on uh, Easter Sunday, so there's an old, old response that's been done for thousands of years, so uh, repeat back after me. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, you got to put your hands in the air on the last one. Ready? Amen. All right, there you go. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, when I was growing up, my, my dad dearly loved fortune cookies. And every time we went somewhere, they had fortune cookies. You know, we all had this big thing where we sat around the table. He'd make us all open them and pull them out and, and read them to each other. And y'all know that fortune cookies don't really, didn't originate in Asia, right? They came from a bakery in San Francisco. was <clears throat> trying to sell their products, so they started doing that. Yeah. Anyway, they became ubiquitous, and, and my dad thought that was just the coolest thing in the world. And you know, so you, you'd open them up and you read them. And you know, sometimes you open them and you read them, and then, you know, it's kind of not, not real inspiring. And, and then I love the ones where they're teaching you to say something in Mandarin, and they use the Mandarin lettering. And I'm going, not helpful. It's just not helpful at all. I have no idea what that says. Uh, but, but a couple of years back, I got one, and I, and I kind of liked it. It, was, uh, it. it read like this, among the lucky few, you are the chosen one. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? And, you know, I got that, enlarged it, put it by my door, you know, kept that around. Whenever I do something, my wife get ticked off at me. I, hey, hey, remember, I'm the chosen one. Man, I'm the lucky few. That's me. I'm the chosen one. And, and you know, I'm, I'm working that for all I can. And, and then a week after that, we had three deaths in the church, and one of them was a suicide. <clears throat> and and, I, and I, all of a sudden, I felt chosen, but not so lucky. Because, <clears throat> um, you know, everything went dark real quick. About a week after that, I'm, I'm at P.F. Chang's down here, and I'm eating, and I opened the fortune cookies the way my dad trained me to do. Uh, and there was one that said, before you can see the light, you have to deal with the darkness. So I don't know what darkness you brought this morning. Some of you I do, because woo, y'all really got to me. Um, so some of you I, I know, but some of you I don't. But on this Easter morning, I want you to know that before you can see the light, you do have to deal with the darkness. Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks that you gather us for this great celebration, that you bring us this great news, that you shine light into the midst of the darkness we live in, and we ask that you illumine our minds and our hearts and our spirits with the light of your presence. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to begin this morning with a passage, a very familiar passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of John. I'm going to remind you, in, in John's Gospel, light and dark always mean more than just light and dark. I mean, it's not just time of day. Light and dark tells you if you're, if you're in the dark, like we say it a lot, you're in the dark. You don't understand. You don't have mental or emotional or spiritual understanding of something. And if you're in the light, then you do understand it. So John begins by telling us early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, you know, sun hasn't come up, but he's also telling you people don't understand yet. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now in John's gospel, when you see that, that's always a reference to John. You can do with that what you want, I mean, you know, but the one whom Jesus loved, that's how he always refers to himself, <clears throat> and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
Then Peter and the other disciple set out toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. <clears throat> so the first, the first piece of dealing with the darkness so you can come into the light is, is you have to show up. You have to be there. I, I think it's interesting that <clears throat> when things are going really great in life and everything's going, you know, we, we say, you know, well, you know, me and God, we're, we're really tight. You know, we're, me and God, we got this thing going on and it's all good and all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as something goes wrong, it's, oh, well, God abandoned me. God forgot about me. God betrayed me. Now, you know, unless my memory is wrong, you know, we were the ones that decided to disobey the Garden of Eden and caused ourselves to have to leave the Garden of Eden and, and, and go out into this world where God told us, you know, you're going to eat by the sweat, the anxiety of your brow. Life's going to be tough, but I'm going to be with you. And God warns us that there's going to be hard times, but God is with us. But our tendency is as soon as we come to the darkness, our tendency is to say, oh, no, no, no. God's, God's abandoned me. God's betrayed me. I'm not going there. And when we do that, we cede the territory to the adversary. And we show our lack of faith in God to be with us, even in the darkness. And the, the first phase is you got to show up. Mary showed up. Mary showed up. Now, this is Mary, who, who Luke's gospel tells us uh, when Jesus first met her, she was possessed by seven demons. And I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. I mean, years ago in South Bluff, we had a guy that used to wash windows in our neighborhood, and he would come around and do that. And the first time I met him, I realized he was having a conversation with himself. Uh, so, you know, we knew that, you know, there were some things going on, but he did a great job washing windows. And uh, he came in one day in August, it was hot and he'd been washing windows in our building. It came to the end of the day. He was seated inside the building in the air conditioning in the stairwell. And I went and I said, you know, it's the end of the day, we're getting ready to leave. We have to lock the building up. You're going to have to go. And, uh, and, and he looks at me, he said, well, I'm not going out there. It's hot. And then he turns to himself and he says, why do you have to give the man so much trouble? He's been paying you to work here all day. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going out there. It's hot. And I'm going, okay. I'm not really sure. You know, I'm, I'm, and, and this conversation kind of goes around for a while. It was just very confusing for me. And uh, about that time, one of our officers uh, that patrolled our neighborhood came by. It was kind of a, they were regulars in our neighborhood and, and came by. And I called him in and told him what was going on. He says, oh, I got this. And he goes over the stairs and he says, hey, you guys, it's time for y'all to leave. And he got up and walked out. And I went, oh, well, now I know the secret. Man, you have to talk to all of them when you do that. But, but, but as funny as that sounds, I want you to think and imagine for a minute what it's like to live that. What it's like to live in that place. I mean, what was it like for Mary with seven? I mean, how, 
how do you know which one or who's who or which one is you or, or who you should listen to when they argue and who's got your interest at heart and who doesn't? I mean, how do you sort all that out? How do you make sense of any of that? Your life is in this constant chaos and confusion and darkness and no one's around you to help you because they're not going to get near you. Everybody keeps you off at arm length, and she's alone and isolated in the darkness and this confusion and in this chaos, and nothing makes sense, and she has no idea who she is. And then she meets this guy named Jesus, and, and suddenly it's like a bolt of light comes into her life, and everything lines up. Her person is integrated, and she knows who she is, and she knows that this guy cares about her. For the first time in her life, someone actually cares about her. Someone actually loves her. And her life comes together in a wholeness of one piece. And because he's loved her and healed her in that way, she loves him fiercely and will follow him to the ends of the earth. So where else would she have been that morning? They didn't finish the burial preparations on Friday. And in her grief for his loss, and in her dread and fear that with his death, all of a sudden she might be plunged back into that darkness, because you know, just as suddenly as he showed up, he was crucified. She might be in that darkness, and all that dread and fear and pain and suffering, where else would she be? Because out of love, she'd follow him to the ends of the earth. And so she shows up. The first rule of working through the darkness is you have to show up. You have to be willing to walk into it out of love for Christ, knowing that even there, even in the darkness and even in the pain and even in the suffering, God is still there. You have to show up. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. The second rule of dealing with the darkness is you have to cry out. You have to cry out. She goes to the tomb and doesn't understand what's happening, and she's there in the darkness and in her grief. And first she asks the angels, if you know where he is, tell me. I mean, the assumption is somebody has taken the body. Somebody's taken the body because they don't understand about the resurrection yet. Even though when, when they looked in, they saw the linen wrappings, you know, lying here and, and the head wrapping lying over here. Not like if somebody had stolen the body, they would have just hauled it all out or they would have stripped it all off and thrown it on the floor. But like somebody got up in the morning and undressed and put their clothes away. They still didn't understand. And so she cries out, if, if, if you know where they've taken him, tell me. 
And she turns around and in the early morning darkness and with the cloud that grief puts on our minds and the tears in her eyes, she doesn't recognize who's standing there and she assumes that that person's the gardener. And she says, please, if you know where they've taken him, please tell me what they've gone. Where have they gone? Where have they taken him? She cries out. I mean, when we walk into the darkness, you know, we cry out. Mary didn't know who she was talking to, but you and I know, don't we? We've heard the story before. We know it's Jesus we need to cry out to because he's the one standing there. And that's who we cry out to in the middle of our times of grief, in the middle of our times of struggle. We lift up our voices. We cry out to Jesus. One of the the saints of the church says, you know, if the only prayer you know is, oh, God, help, that's the best prayer for the day. Right? I mean, God who said, you know, if you seek me, I'll let you find me. Jesus, who, who died on the cross while we were still sinners, right? Who tells us that, you know, even the hairs on our head are numbered, right? Paul, who, who tells us, you know, if you don't know the right words, that's okay. The Spirit will intercede for you besides too deep for words. Just, just cry out. Cry out. I mean, in the, in the midst of those <laughs> times of, of grief and sorrow when the darkness is just weighing heavy on our souls, cry out to Jesus, In those moments when you can't make sense out of life and things are falling apart, cry out to Jesus. In those times when when the finances are crumbling and the job is gone and you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills, cry out to Jesus. In those moments when the people you love and you care about are doing things that are destructive and won't listen to you, cry out to Jesus. Don't be silent. When you enter in the darkness and it begins to weigh on you, lift your voice up. Cry out to him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him in Hebrew and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know, names are, are, are a powerful thing in Scripture. <clears throat> and when you read through them, uh, you know, names uh, for the Hebrews, if you knew someone's name, it kind of, it was kind of like you had some authority or power or pull with them to know their name. It was, it was an important thing. And you'll notice in Scripture that people's names will change. You know, Abraham uh, originally is Abram. So, you know, names change at significant moments and there's significance to that. They're, they're important. Uh, when Moses asked God's name and God says, I am who I am, that name that becomes Yahweh, I mean, Moses, uh, uh, God's basically saying, uh, you don't get to have authority over me, I have authority over you, because names are important. And there's a piece of us that gets that, still, we kind of instinctually know that, right? I mean, if you're in a big crowd of people, lots of folks in the room, blah, 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 talking and everything, and somebody says your name, you hear it, don't you? Right? It jumps out. I mean, your brain filters that out. Whoa, you need to listen to that, that's your name. Now, if you have a name like mine, Tom, Real original. Um, you know, like when you're in a crowded room, you know, you're, you're, pro- you're going to get whiplash if you turn and look at everybody that says Tom, right? Because there's going to be lots of people, blah, 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 you know. So, so, so there's a further filter that gets put on top of that. It's who says it? What voice is it? So if I'm in a, a, a big place with lots of people around and my wife Cindy says my name, it pierces through everything. I hear it, especially if she says it in that spe- you know, special tone of voice, you know? <laughs> Tom! This man, right? I mean, you know, it gets you. I mean, you, you hear. Or, or when my kids uh, were young and, and we'd be somewhere and they'd say, Dad. And I could hear that over everything. Right? Names have power. Especially when they're spoken 
by the voice of someone we love. And so Mary stands and Jesus says, Mary. She hears her name spoken by the master and suddenly the darkness falls away and the tears stop and the fear leaves and in a moment hope returns because she knows that he is not dead. She knows that he is alive and he knows her. On all those resurrection appearances through the gospel, Jesus shows up. They're not generic. Jesus always knows who it is he's showing up for. He knows what they need. You know, for Thomas, he comes so he can touch him. Peter gets three chances to say he loves him. I mean, he shows up. Cleopatra and his companion get everything explained to him. Jesus shows up and speaks their name. And in the speaking of the name, they find new hope. After you've cried out, listen for your name. Listen for your name. Listen for it spoken by the very voice of the risen Christ. You may still be in the darkness, but there is a new hope that comes once you know that God is indeed with you. And God is walking with you through whatever it is you're in. In the winter when we moved through and... uh, we buried both of my wife's parents, and we had a flood. We had 1,200 homes in the community destroyed. 65 homes in our church were lost, and we were working through that. And, and somebody said, well, how are you dealing with that? And I said, I, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done anything like this before. I said, I just get up each morning, and I pray, and I put one foot in front of the other. But, but every morning when I would pray, <laughs> I would be saying, oh, God, help. I have no idea what I'm doing. And every morning in the midst of that, God would speak my name. And I would know that he was with me. Might not know what I'm doing, but I knew God was with me and that was enough. Listen for your name. When you cry out, listen for your name. Be silent for a moment and let God speak into your life. Because the Lord who made you knows you knows what you need, and loves you. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. In a time in history when women in the community were not considered reliable enough witnesses to be able to give testimony in a court of law, isn't it amazing that God would pick a woman to be the first witness of the resurrection? And he sends her to tell the other disciples. And we know from the the rest of the story, we know that their initial reaction to her was that, oh yeah, right, Mary. They didn't believe her at first. But she went, she had the courage to go. She went to make the most outrageous witness that anyone could make, that that the one that they had watched die was now risen from the dead. She has the power and the courage to do that. Because in the midst of her darkness, she's realized that there's a greater power than the darkness. And she knows that you can overcome the darkness because Jesus has overcome the darkness. Not because of your power, not because of your credibility, not because of your knowledge, not because of your ability, but because of who God is. 
because of God's love, because of God's power. Christ overcomes the powers of death and darkness, and because he is with her, she has the courage to do things she never could do before. In the witness of the early church is people doing these amazing things that they should not be able to do and to stand with courage they should not have had because God was with them. It's not about what we're able to do, it's about what God is able to do. And when God is with us, we can overcome the darkness because Jesus has overcome the darkness. And whatever darkness you came with this morning, whatever you might be wrestling with, whatever sorrow rests on your hearts, hear that. You can overcome the darkness because Jesus overcame the darkness. So for for thousands of years, the church has given witness to the power of the resurrection. It's what drives everything that happens. Uh, It's the hardest part of the whole gospel to believe you know, babies are born, so we get Christmas. You know, we, we, that kind of, seems kind of familiar. But this being raised up from the dead stuff, man, that's really outside our wheelhouse. We're really uncomfortable with that idea. And yet that's the power that has come. Because the risen Christ isn't some fantasy, some myth, but he's the one with us. And in the midst of the darkness, when we call out to him, he speaks our name. And that gives us hope, and that gives us power. Remember, before you can see the light, you have to deal with the darkness. But the good news that comes on Easter morning is that I can overcome the darkness because Jesus has overcome the darkness. Say that. I can overcome the darkness because Jesus is, you get that? I can overcome the darkness because Jesus has overcome the darkness. Not because I'm good, not because I'm powerful, not because I have the ability to do it, but because Jesus is good and he has overcome it and he has the ability to do it. And if he is with me, I can overcome the darkness because Jesus overcame the darkness. Whatever the darkness is you're going through, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever sorrow rests on your heart, whatever disaster is in your life, whatever you face, whatever craziness is out there in the world, I can overcome the darkness because Jesus, can overcome, Jesus overcame the darkness. So my brothers and sisters, from the, the time of Mary till now, we are the people of God who cannot be defeated. We cannot be defeated because Christ has overcome the powers of death and darkness. We can't be stricken down. We can't be quit. We can't be overcome. We can't be shut down. We can't be destroyed. We can't be defeated because Christ has overcome the powers of death and darkness. Whatever you face, whatever challenges in front of you, Whatever sorrow you bear, know that you can overcome that darkness because Jesus has overcome it. Claim that victory and know that you cannot be defeated because Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.